Hi folks, um, before we start this podcast, uh, can I very cheekily ask you to consider going to tortoiseshack.ie forward slash run 2020. Uh, many of you already know that I set out uh, to run 2020 miles in 2020 to raise funds for Anna Liffey and Inner City Helping Homelessness. And tomorrow afternoon I shall complete the task by completing the virtual Dublin Marathon. Uh, Rory Heron has very kindly agreed to run it with me and um, we will be running the streets around Finglas, Glass, Nevin, Cabra, and around our areas within 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 reason. Um, please consider throwing money in because the two great causes set out to do this. They've been great supporters of 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 the Tortoise Shack, and it's great to give back. Um, we've raised over six thousand euros so far. I'd love to smash that. Um, please consider it. It's tortoiseshack.ie forward slash run twenty twenty. Thank you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to what is a Tortoise Shack special. Um, this is a bit of an impromptu, uh, the week that was. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, uh, Tortoise Shack royalty and host of the police podcast, uh, Vicky Conway. Vicky, how are you keeping? I am trying not to be too angry. <laughs> um, speaking of not being too angry, here's, here's the most philosophical <laughs> anger you'll, you'll, you'll come across. Uh, is Our other friend is Simon McGar is joining us. Simon, how are you keeping? I'm grand. I'm grand. Thank you for um, thank you for agreeing to let me talk my troubles out. Yeah. Um. I suppose I I want to start with uh just very. I know we can we can talk briefly about the week that was, but part of it is also the process. And I note you did a little bit of a heartfelt thread yourself yesterday on on social media where you where you spoke about how this this weighs on people, but not so much as on we don't see the people who pushed it to this point it all obviously culminated this week but there was years of work that went into making this an issue that the public would care about as we came to the to the pinch point do you want to just give us a, a flavor of that yeah i mean so i should say that uh i mean you're talking to me but uh, you previously did the pod with Maeve O'Rourke, and it was listening to Maeve O'Rourke's um podcast and to the podcast with with survivors who had gone through these experiences that kind of triggered me into thinking hard about this. And I had been very much disengaged from these kind of questions for quite a while, mostly because it had been very painful to go through the experience of helping um, the ladies from the Magdalene Laundries and feeling that you didn't do enough. And I really did feel that, like I hadn't succeeded in what I wanted to do. Um, and the state had, admittedly, there was a lot of improvements, like the, the Quirk report was a big step forward over the uh, McAleese report. And I think that wouldn't have happened if the McAleese report hadn't got the kind of critical attention it did when it launched. And that experience taught me just how much it, how useful it is to be the person who sits down and reads a report because I, in the entire time that I went on, over a couple of months, I went on innumerable radio programs and occasionally um, uh, talking to newspaper people. And whenever I was there, there was always a person there representing the government side. And on no occasion did the person I was ever against say to me that they had read the report. They would always say to me outside, well, I haven't read the report myself. Have you read it? Um. And that told me that, in fact, nobody was reading the report. It had come out. It was a thousand pages. 
And you can always tell when a report has come out and it hasn't been read when the headline is thousand page report published, because that means that you've got the report, you've looked at it, and then you skip to the last page and you can report how many pages there are. The content is kind of harder. So uh, that was that told me that there was value in being the person who reads the thing or uses whatever kind of knowledge you have in order to try and create a space for discussions in relation to these kind of things and and to create a kind of a a counter story to whatever the official story is that's been created. Um, so uh, uh, during the course of the week, I was thinking, how could I be helpful? And um, and the only thing I could think of was, well, I can only just use the tools at my disposal, which are, I do know about the GDPR. And so thinking about it, this was a question of people's personal data being withheld from them. And this is familiar territory. So I just applied the GDPR, uh, the logic of the GDPR and an analysis using an EU law analysis sort of framework to the proposal from the government. And I think what was interesting is that the government didn't really have an answer. And once this argument came out, it sort of spun out of control for the government. Once they re- once everybody realised the government hadn't got an answer for this, they either hadn't considered it or hadn't considered it to be significant. And it was picked up in the Dáil and it was picked up in the Shannad. And uh, Maeve O'Rourke also did an article analysing the uh, the arguments of the government on the non-GDPR side of things, so referring to the GDPR argument. And those two positions, I think, ended up carrying the day in terms of winning the argument. And I, I really wanted to talk about how do we get to a point where you can win an argument and have policy change when you appear to not have any weapons at your disposal. You don't have a question of a, you know, a hung doll. You have a, a government with a, a very large majority. They can ram through parliament. What can be done under those circumstances? And I, that was the kind of the process side that I was interested to talk about. And also just to say, like, it was very difficult during the course of the week. And I wanted to say that people should recognize that even when you're not personally affected by these things, which, you know, I am not. If you are empathetic, then you are going to feel vicariously a shadow of the kind of pain that other people feel. And we should recognize that that's good. I think that's an excellent thing that we can do that. But it also means there's a little bit of toll, like there's a little bit of price to be paid with a little bite out of our soul every time that we, we engage with it. And um, and Vicky says that she's angry today. And that's that kind of hurts for a while because that's really hard. And I kind of wanted to say, look, sometimes if we think about it and we we know what we're doing, we can turn that anger into something really productive. Like that makes a difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Nothing the anger that happened that, this week would have happened without anger. Yeah. The anger fuels everyone to keep going, right? And to push. And it's I think it's so important that people that aren't directly affected are feeling those emotions because this is about what kind of society do we want to be in? What kind of Ireland do we want to have? You know, this isn't about just standing up for the rights of the people directly affected, but about wanting to have a society that respects the dignity and privacy or data or all of these things that we just, we want to know that if any of us was faced with that situation, everyone would be treated appropriately. So um, it's a really good thing. And I think that the swell of support 
from public and politicians this week. And I know, you know, we've been talking to Noelle a bit since we did the podcast. It, it makes a world of difference to people. But for me, there's a big thing in, in what you're talking about that you can, the principled argument can be right. And yet still this passes. And for me this week, one of the things that has concerned me is I think we've seen in the legislative process, a number of some of the worst things that can happen coalescing. So the, and I'm going to name four things that are really bothering me. The obsession with AG's advice says, therefore we must do. It's advice. It's not bound. You wouldn't go talk to a friend. Can I ask for your advice? Like under the prize of the absolutely have to do it. Um, it is advice. It's not binding. It's not, it's not is, paper. It's not infallible. No. <laughs> no. Does seem There's, to be. I know. No. And, and this is a real problem. And then there is the fact that, you know, they use the guillotine um, in the way that they did. Um, which, you know, an important tool to make sure things that move on, but there wasn't the space and time given. And that becomes even more problematic when we find out the day after the Dáil debate um, that DPP, DPC felt that this was unlawful. And so that was never mentioned at committee stage or in the Dáil. And then we also hear that due to, you know, such an outswell of support that the email system crashed and so the IT department kind of sidelined any emails that um, mentioned mother and baby's home. So those weren't getting through to parliamentarians. And like those are four things that on their own are really problematic. And they're all permissible, but you really have to question that procedure and how appropriate it is and whether our alleged, like if I was a TD right now, I'd be so pissed off that all of this had happened and you didn't get to have the debate that you should have had. And I'd be genuinely wondering, is there a way to challenge the debate that took place on Thursday because of all of those abuses of process that occurred this week? Just want to note uh, for listeners, we are delighted to be joined now by Independent Senator Alice Mary Higgins. Alice Mary, thank you so much for taking the taking the call at such short notice. Um, you just before you came on, Simon referred to the fact that uh, you were you were present at the at the coal face watch or, or or I think to use your phrase, Simon, you got to see how the sausage was made. <laughs> um, do you want no. do you want to give us just a quick overview of how the week unfolded and how you felt as you as you watched this go through anyway, despite the arguments put towards it? Um, the question around things being rushed has actually been a bit of a, a huge problem of this government in general. And it's, you know, this bill was being rushed, but it was also being rushed in a context of, uh, I think we had four bills guillotined uh, yesterday, just four completely. Obviously this is a, a particularly crucial one and I want to give vote, but that, but just it's a context of we've had a bit of a return of the guillotine. We've seen lots of bills being pushed through with that committee and report stage pushed together. And that's really crucial because it's always between committee and report stage that you actually get changes in legislation. So we've had a lot of, so it, there is a very much a climate of huge frustration. The Shannon, I, I know certainly we've been having, you know, regular battles about the fact that we are constantly get effectively being asked to rubber stamp. Um, we, we, we still try not to. Now, in terms of the actual progress, the process, there was one bit of change that happened. There was a small bit. It's the only bit. Um, in the debate in the Shannon, while none of the amendments we put there were pushed forward, this is in that first debate, 
two of the things that were debated did then come through in the minister's amendments in the Dáil. And I think it was just so incredibly poor that the minister would reply in the Dáil that he didn't accept, intend to accept amendments and, and foolish, you know, as well. Um, but the, the things that happened in the Shannon, I think, are going to be important for the next stage because the one change was something that I had been pushing for and a couple of others pushed, but I had like maybe 20 amendments. I, I always go big on the amendments <laughs> because I always feel then something will happen and something will get through. But it was around, um, at the in the original proposal of the bill, um, half of the stuff was going to Tusla and half was going to the minister. So the minister was keeping all of the documents that the commission created, you know, for and by itself, the testimony, all of that. And then those original records that came from departments and this kind of database that we hear about all the time was going to Tusla. And I think the government made this incredibly bad decision to frame this uh, in wrongly. Um, uh, they were saying, we're sending, we're doing this bill to send uh, the database to Tusla um, because otherwise it would all be sealed. And they really did start that language of sealing. And, and now there's kind of a bit of government going, it's not a seal and rolling back. But but they created that fear with that language at that time. Um, something that we did push from the Shannon is that the minister needs to keep a copy of everything so that even if the database and other files are going to Tusla, he also needs to have a copy of it. And that is one small change, but it is going to be important for the next stages in this battle is in practical effect after this you know, in this bill, the minister is due to get a copy of all of the documents the commission have. And our big battle ahead is going to be how he interprets what he's going to do with all of those documents when he has them. And that's going to be a big battle ahead. Uh, but yeah, in terms of practice, that was the only other, the other big change was there have been some amendments, I think from Senator McDool and others, which said, because the confidential committee was confidential, that everything in it should effectively not go to the minister. Um, and if it did, it would all have to be redacted. And myself and Senator Lynn Ruan had a big battle around saying, well, actually, lots of people wanted their public. They wanted to be public. They want their stuff on the on the record. And so in that context, the minister put in a, a measure it was actually a kind of a balance where. But it's an opt out. So those who don't who do want to be redacted can ask to be redacted. And that probably is slightly better than assuming redaction and you have to try and get yourself unredacted. So the big problem with that, sorry, I'll go in on too long. But Not the basic point of that is, is on that is that solves the problem for 30 years. So we know at least that the archives, when we, we get them in 30 years, will actually not be just completely redacted in every way and everything riddled from them. But we still have that big battle around what happens now and what happens in those 30 years. And, and it was interesting, all our amendments, and there were so many good amendments in the Dáil that just didn't even get considered. And we even had, I think we got... There was a 25 minute window to put in amendments on the amendments, which we got some in. Literally, it was between 7.30 and 8 o'clock uh, <laughs> that, we, that we had a window from the, between the doll and it coming back to the Shannon. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's like obviously ridiculous. But we managed to get a few in. And any of those amendments was interesting. They weren't actually removing stuff from the bill. They were adding to the bill. And we were adding lots of opportunities for the minister to strengthen his own legal hand by saying, I also want to make have an opinion on the 2004 Act, and I think that Section 39 shouldn't apply, or I want to give my interpretation. He, he could have strengthened his own hand by adding something really positive about um, uh, GDPR into the bill, 
But even though he didn't add it, it's still there. It's still going to apply. Sorry, that's a long summary, but <laughs> thank no, you. I'm so <laughs> I think there's a really important point there about um, this government is pushing a lot of stuff through. And I think that comes on the back of the last government where they, you know, they really didn't have the capacity to pass much legislation under confidence and supply. Um, and so there are probably there's a backlog and there are civil servants trying to push stuff. And, you know, I get that to an extent. But God, dear God, that moment on Thursday when Holly Carnes asked, are you going to take any amendments? And, you know, Minister Gorman, I don't even if, if, know if he vocalised it. You just saw the shake in his face. And I I am um, like endless praise for all of you guys, because I know me, I just stormed out of the doll and gone, what's the point in being here if you're not even going to talk about it? So like, how do you find that strength to keep going when you're given 25 minutes or when you hear the amendments aren't going to be accepted? It is really, really crucial because it is you are you are putting that there is an alternative perspective, even if it doesn't win, if it doesn't. Now, what's frustrating, for example, this is on other bills. yesterday. some of the bills we had yesterday, um, we may have had 30 or 40 amendments in. We only got to talk about two of them mm. because, I mean, that's how bad the guillotining is. Yeah. That, you know, the debate is cutting. But but. It, you, you need to put it and it puts on a, a marker and there is an alternative perspective and alternative analysis. It gives you excuse to make the points. And sometimes it is important to put on the record that, you know, opportunities were there and they were not taken. Like, as I say, I we will change things. And I just want to maybe address this a little bit of a myth. And actually a lot of um, a lot of the newspaper journalists used to say it stands still in the last. A lot of laws did pass in the last Oireachtas. And what was really interesting was a lot of private members' bills, mm. a lot of good, you know, we got a, a ban on fracking, you know, we got mm. um, fossil fuel divestment, we got um, the right uh, for uh, the very good bill from Ivana Bacic on on competition, on uh, the amendments to the Competition Act that allowed... What happened there was that the Oireachtas became a legislature exactly. as opposed to just <laughs> a tool of the executive. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the executive was very unhappy about that. And exactly. obviously the political correspondents take their tone from the people with the power. Yeah. So that's the executive. But can can I can I be being the, the dumbest guy in the room? Can I ask the obvious question there? Because Alice Mary, you just outlined this the situation. And yet um looking at it, reading this, there was almost a copy and paste reaction on social media by members of the coalition where it was misinformation, disinformation, and, you know, um, this was all uh, a plot, you know, uh, part, there was shady, there was sh- shadowy figures was almost inferred by, by some people who should know better to tell you the truth. And, um, yeah. and one of the main points they were pushing back on was the point that you make quite clearly that this is what the people wanted when we set this up. We promised them that they could tell us their stories and we'd, we'd protect them. And yet the actual people themselves were standing up saying, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. And, and, yeah. and it continues. It was, I saw it as recently as last night again, this line, look, you know, this is how, this is the minister understood that these people sought this uh, confidentiality at the outset. They didn't. And to talk to, for people to speak for them. I mean, I, I just thought, I found that actually, it would be re-traumatizing if I was in, in there. And I suppose to use no- Noelle Brown's um, phrase, it infantilized, infantilized uh, her. She's, she's 54. She's not an adopted child anymore. And I just found that, did anybody see that this felt this campaign to push back? Simon? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, so I don't have, like, no one elects Simon to anything. Um, Simon is, has no powers. 
and that's Simon, and then it's it's Maeve O'Rourke. That's because he talks about himself in the third person. That's right, and that's a creepy thing to do. <laughs> who is this guy? No, the, no. The thing is that if you have people who aren't elected and they don't have any power and they don't have a platform other than just a social media platform, which is surely the thinnest of all platforms to try and stand on and make an argument, then you don't really have an institutional uh, any institutional weight. And the problem is that when something does break through on social media and it becomes amplified by people being both persuaded and sharing it because it matters to them, that suddenly you have a, a response where this is unnatural. Now, I've, you know, I've been through this a couple of times now. We went through it with the, the Soper Ireland campaign. We went through it with, um, with the, the digital rights campaign to a certain extent. So you get these cycles where you get a breakthrough and something becomes uh, no longer a question of, you know, there's this guy on the internet saying things and suddenly it, it enters into the general public discourse, but it's entered into the discourse through a non sort of approved, there's no gatekeeper on that. It's just the public has decided to take it up. And that's what the thousands of emails indicated. And it was striking as I was watching the doll debate how every single TD said, I've got thousands of emails and I've never seen the like of it. Like, this is what, nothing electrifies a dull debate like discovering thousands of, of voters want to talk to you about it and are really head up about it. So that really pushes, that raises the stakes for the political system. And the system does not like the uncontrolled and unpredictable uh, effect of social media. It does not like it at all. Um, you can't talk to it in the lobby. You can't square it. You can't, you have to discuss things in the open because there's no leader to talk to. Like this is not a, this is not a party you're dealing with. I, I'm um, considered the leading left wing voice of Irish Twitter. Just, just putting that on the record. <laughs> Formally. Well, I'm not sure if the government agrees with you, Tony. So that's, <laughs> that's their difficulty. So that, how so many male eagles can we have in one podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's, but that's a, like that's the, how the government reacts. So it says, What's really behind this? Because it can't be just people thinking about this. There must be like a campaign or a, and there were, there was a, there was one, one Green Party member was saying there are shadowy figures behind this. Uh, ask yourself who benefits truly from behind this. I mean, I, I thought I, there was a quote from one of the people from Fine Gael who was saying, you know, this has been turned into a, an industry, like a, 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 a an industry of, of, you know, making people un, upset and so on. I mean, this is to cast aspersions on the quality of the opponent rather than address the questions that you can't address in terms of argument. And, and it's just, just one of those so stages just, that you have to go through. And they reach it when, they, when they've run out of arguments and they're in the desperation stage before collapse. So it's the last stage before collapse. So I'm always pleased when I see it because I recognize, oh, we're on the slope down now to, to, to total collapse. And this is the last screaming attack before you get to that point. Yeah. So, so, you know... When it happens, it happens. So just, well, just as well on it, the two arguments as well that you were saying, Tony, the arguments we're hearing, first of all, you know, there was so much genuine distress. They just completely underestimated how many people, like how many people, I mean, I've, you know, dozens of, of friends who were adopted or their mother was adopted or they like, you know, and that's leaving aside the thousands and hundreds and advocates. This is in a very small circle. You know, people, so many people are affected by these issues. And in terms of shadowy, we know uh, the institutions and their history. And it, it ties into 
there is a collective um, uh, distrust uh, and anger that isn't even just about the mother and baby homes. It's because people who may have been in the industrial schools or may have been affected by the Ryan report or they may be affected by the cervical uh, smear scandal or they've been affected by symphysiotomy or because it's not just people who are angry and affected by this issue. But there's that wider constituency of people who are angry and frustrated with the way that the state has applied a culture of secrecy uh, um, and of um, uh, impunity to really terrible actions that happen. Lots of them targeted at, at women. So there's a wider, I think they underestimated the number of people affected and they underestimated the number of people with that wider concern. So there's a really genuine, and that, that is where these thousands are coming from. But in terms of the messages that are in there, then they, that was what I was saying with the ceiling. You know, they were kind of flipping, oh, people are being told and they're being, you know, I, I, I'm i in this weird situation where I keep saying there isn't a seal. Like there isn't a seal. There is no seal. There's no seal in the 2004 Act. There's no seal in this Act. But the, pro- the reason that people believe there is a seal is because the government are interpreting it as a seal. And they put that language of seal out there. And when we had the debate in the chamber, it was really interesting. The minister, he just took a step in the right direction and then he kind of rolled back because he was speaking and he said, you know, Section 39 uh, is an exemption from data protection rights. And I went, you know, authorizes an exemption. And I went, it's not an exemption. It's a restriction, which it is. It's a very narrow, it's interpreted. And then he changed his language and started talking about a restriction. And yet then the press release came out late that night and we were back to prohibition again. Well, that's because you know, the press release was definitely a press release against what the minister had said. The department was releasing exactly. a press release to rebut its own minister. <laughs> exactly. He had just he had started to take that step towards recognizing what, the, you know, what Section 39 actually says, which is a restriction, um, you know, only where necessary are proportionate for you know one particular purpose. It's a case by case. Like it's a very narrow restriction. That's and there. So and the forty year. The other thing in section forty one is it just says after thirty years it goes to the archive. It doesn't prohibit you doing other stuff in the meantime. So there really isn't a seal. But the language of seal, which I'm not, I don't give out for activists to use it. They're right to use it because the seal is there in the way the government are interpreting it. They are sending the message about the seal in using language of like prohibit and exemptions from GDPR and all of that. So they used, and, and I had, but when they started giving out about it being used, I, I, I actually pulled up a list of times that government representatives had used that language of seal. They used it. Then people said, you know, um, don't seal the archives. And then they said, oh, well, this is a little inaccurate, you know, but they put that language out there. Yeah. And, and, yeah, sorry. But isn't that a concern, though, because like laws have to be interpreted, right? And if that's the language yeah. that the government are using, that's how people feel they're going to treat exactly. the data. And like they're entitled yeah. to be angry about that. And I think of the course. other thing is, like, if this is how they're treating the living people, like what's going to happen when we start talking about the babies that died? Like if they're so disrespectful to the living and not listening to them when they say, I went to the commission because I wanted my story heard and I want it in the public domain. Like I'm getting really scared about what's going to happen about all those babies that died and what attitude the state is going to take to like properly investigating and examining those deaths. One of the things that is useful about the GDPR as a position, a legal position to start from, is that because it's based in EU law, 
there is an outside body which isn't part of the state, which you can actually say in the end, this is going to be decided in Luxembourg. And you can rely on that going outside the state it, that there, and the state is answerable to that body. <clears throat> when someone has died, they don't have any G, uh, uh, data protection rights. They, you know, only the living have data protection rights, which means that you won't have that promise of an external oversight. Well, you do through Article 2 in the ECHR. Well, like okay. this, the court we're of moral, required, moral no, required to have effective investigations where somebody has died in unnatural causes. I mean, there's no question about this. There is a legal requirement on coroners to hold um, inquiries into those. And, you know, the state is obliged to have effective investigations. The difference is that uh, when the court in the, the EU court finds against it, that has it has to do things or it gets starts getting fines every day. And when, when the Court of Justice in Strasbourg uh, yeah. finds against it, it goes, what an interesting thing for you to tell us. I'll have a good think about that. And that's really, I mean, the Court no, of Justice in Strasbourg is absolutely uh, a position where it sets out what law is and it is illegal, but it doesn't have the same kind of impact, really real sort of teeth and power that the Luxembourg court, the EU court has. Just just because, and I, I think the question of that thing of what's going to get lost that you're talking about, Vicky, like what's going to get hidden? The one thing is, with that balance, you know, that, you know, I really was alarmed at the early stages and when there were those amendments that we'd redact lots of stuff, you know what I mean? But right now in the thing, it's only, there's an opt, an opt out redaction or opt in where basically you, you have to say that you want to be redacted. Okay. It's really interesting. One, and I, and I noticed another senator, you might guess who, who has been very concerned because they didn't seem to promise to redact third parties who might be named as doing things. Institutions, <laughs> institutions and people in institutions. Yeah. So there was a kind of, it's interesting because they, it's actually, it's, it's interestingly worded the redaction at the moment. It's those who actually spoke to the committee or to the confidential committee are the, and again, now this is a big shift from the confidential committee and the commission's own interpretation, but this interpretation would say that, that the commission, they're basically being told that they should redact when people who actually spoke to the commission and gave it their stuff ask for it to be redacted. So if somebody says, I do want to be confidential, that's really interesting as an opt-in. Now, the, we need what we do need to be really sure is that, that because there's that one option of redaction, that that's all. I think there needs to be an implication that basically you don't redact anything else. You shouldn't be redacting anything else except those who have chosen. And it deals with that thing, Tony, what you were saying, that kind of patronising language of, we promised them privacy and we prom. And remember the debate, like, you know, there was a, I, I had a whole thing. We, made, we, 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 we assured them that nobody know their terrible, you know, secret. And it was, I was going to say, you know, people, women are proud of, of having reclaimed their story and they wanted to be told. They wanted ah, no, to tell they'd rather They'd rather live in shame for the rest of live their lives. Live in shame and, and, and have it be a, a secret. But basically, actually, as it is now, it, it, it is the case that you need to choose to be redacted. And you can't do it if you're a third party. But nonetheless, we do have to be worried or concerned. It's really important that the commission understand that. Can because I what we one? don't want is that the minister gets a pile of redacted. Now, the bill says that it shouldn't be redacted except for where people have opted in. But that's given how TUSLA and other bodies have behaved in the past. There is a fear about how they interpret that. And, and Article 18, say something about that in a minute, Simon. I've, I, I, <laughs> OK, OK. I've, I've looked at, I've looked like if, if you see on social media, you've seen some of the files that individuals have received 
and it's page after page of redactions and it's yeah. even even their own surname that they are now aware of has been redacted you know it's like you know yeah. they, they've gone and got it themselves from from the 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 births and births and deaths registry and they're finding but when they get the file it's redacted but i suppose here's my last kind of question i think why didn't anybody just say let's this we have oh why did they agree to this we've only six days why could no one could they not find a reason to press pause on this and say there's a bigger conversation that was necessary to be had here clearly we've you know they've admitted to a miscommunication problem here um i don't know what that catch-all term really means but surely they had an out here just to press pause and allow for more time i mean you made the point alice they have a super majority they could literally decide to pass anything they want at the moment we saw it with the forestry bill we saw it with other bills that have been rammed through recently um am i naive to think that they they had an out here or were they just content to plow on oh well they, they did end up delaying it because now the commission will only dissolve in february after it's done this whole consultation on redaction so you know that showed that you can delay it so they basically yes they certain you know they could have chosen to delay it to that point but um um uh, yeah, they could have. There's no, there was that, the very fact that we ended up postponing, they, they, the line was that we need to have the report published and we're in a big hurry for that as well. But they definitely could have delayed it. And it read, sorry, a lot of commentary read that it was like Mission Impossible, that once we once we do this, this message will self-destruct. And it was like, in six days time, every, the 4,000 page report will issue and everything else will then dissolve. It's just actually, sorry, well, Simon. I, I, no, I, on that, um, yeah, that sense of there is ago. no alternative that the government frequently goes with. And in terms of guillotining as well, you have to pass this act or nothing. And so you must do something. And I think Senator McDool, with whom I may not agree with, but he was certainly discussing <laughs> in terms of it. He said, you know, we're being we're being asked to a gun is being held to our head. Do this or yeah. everything is lost. And um, and that's a fair complaint. But that's the the reaction of a state infrastructure which is used to getting its own way and is impatient of discussion and And so that's what it likes it wants what it got it wants whatever it proposes that's exactly what it wants to get through and everything else is seen as a as a as having lost something they had to take a step back or accept something else and that's why for example i think you end up with ministers rejecting amendments from the other side and then reintroducing them under their own name because then that's a win for them and I yeah. just think that's a that's a structural failure in the institution that sees collaboration as yeah. weakness. I'm happy to lend my amendments to ministers wherever they like, <laughs> but there is basically just for accuracy, the commission, yes, the commission was due to dissolve. They could have passed a very short bill, which just said everything that is must be deposited with the minister and without redaction. And another section of that bill said, and the commission won't dissolve until February. So they might have had, if the commission wouldn't cooperate, to put forward a very short bill, literally postponing the commission's dissolution and maybe adding in for bonus points, don't redact things. But they could have done that and then dealt with all of these other issues, you know, and what role to some might play and who should be the data controller and all. They could have done that later. They really could have put in a postponement bill, but they might have had to do it as, as a bill. But, you know, really, though, the commission, it's a very weird thing when a commission can, you know, hold a government hostage to such a degree that the government can't be confident that without legislation, the commission will 
uh, not choose to dissolve and destroy things. I mean, that's not a healthy dynamic um, to say the and least. And that is contributing to a lot of the fear, right? Like, I think people are genuinely worried that if this kind of thing hadn't happened, the stuff could have been destroyed. Yep. I mean, I mean, that's what history has suggested would be done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't exercise every part of the legislature in trying to stop it. Yeah. Though they were meant under Article Section 43 of the 2004 Act. I mean, the commission was meant to deposit everything with the minister. I think the concern would be that the commission would pl- apply their own interpretations on redaction and what they apply, yeah. you know, supplied would be so. Um, and and just, you know, someone you were saying Article 18 is something, you know, bearing in mind that really tiny restriction that is in Section 39, which we should have disregarded. But even so, even if it is applied, is very narrow. It's only sometimes to some goes of Article 15 rights to data interpretation. But all of the entire rest of the GDPR is applying all the time to everything you know, That's even right. if because you the exemption the is only for the certain circumstances and only for those circumstances as they apply to just that one article of the GDPR, and there is no yeah. other restriction whatsoever on all of the operation of the rest of the GDPR on the entirety of that uh, archive. Yeah. And, um, so 18. it's a very thin, it's a very thin balance beam that the department was claiming was going to cause everything to to be sealed completely. It just isn't right. And Article 18, you, you mentioned it there, for example, is a right completely unrestricted under any of the uh, under any of the pieces of national legislation. So you don't even have to argue whether they should be set aside or they're in conflict. And it includes the right where a data subject, that's the person the information is about, can say, I don't want you to do whatever you're doing with that information and you're to and even if you have so this is article 18 1c even if you have finished with that data for your purposes i have another purpose that i wish to uh, uh, consider i may want to have that information to establish exercise or maybe even defend legal claims and so if you think that that might be valuable information or relevant information in respect of any kind of legal claim a data subject can send that in and the data controller must preserve it until the person uh, sends in their consent to it being to, uh, no form of processing without the person's consent. So that it, it allows a data subject to take absolute control over the story of their own life, about the data, about, the, about themselves. Yeah. And the controller becomes their instrument in storing the data, their instrument in processing it, and the controller doesn't attempt to exercise independent power over that data. Now, that's just one of the rights that hasn't been, and no one has even suggested has been restricted. And yet what we've seen from the government is a line that there's an exemption from the GDPR. Yeah, which is like wild. Which there isn't. And- I mean, there couldn't be, but also there isn't even an attempt in national legislation to do that. So I do think that that's, that's where the kind of analysis comes in where you get words thrown out by the government and you you allow people to get access to an analysis that shows actually that's not what it says and there's all these rights and they haven't been presented. And that that gives arguments to people of, of really good, you know, really sound people who want to do the right thing, but they wouldn't know what to say either in the doll or outside the doll. They wouldn't know what to say to counter that position if it was thrown at them. And suddenly you say, well, actually, the counterpoint to that is that it doesn't uh, include the GDPR. It only even mentions Article 15, and it probably isn't even effective under that. And that's, I think, is the only thing that I could say 
like I started off by saying I had been very angry and it, by being able to help with that kind of a thing. And, uh, and, and I mean, Vicky does this all the time as well by, by uh, voicing positions that allow other people to recognize, oh, I knew that was true sort of viscerally, but I didn't know how I would make the argument or how, what would I, how would I yeah. counter this argument that's coming up from my local councillor who says, oh, no, don't worry, the GDPR is exempted due to laws, which, you know, you did see a lot of that going around, particularly from the Green Party. They had obviously all been handed a cheat sheet to use. Um, it, what, it always moves the, moves the conversation on because suddenly you'd kill off those talking points. They don't try and use them and they try and come up with other ones. But yeah. after a while, they lose faith in their own arguments when people have been yeah. proving their talking points are wrong over and over again. And even in the end, a minister loses faith in his own department's talking points that they hand them. You saw it in the Shannon last night. Like there were two government senators asking the specifics of how data protection, you know, how, how people were saying, they weren't even like they were saying, I think there was two two government senators who were kind of going, what process should we use when applying for data subject access request? Like they basically, they are, and as I say, there was that shift in the minister's language, which his department seemed to roll back on again. But this is the really important for, for going, what we need is in terms of what happens when this data goes to the minister, when that full set, all of those documents from the commission, all of the records from different departments and that database where all of this GDPR stuff becomes important, it isn't just in terms of the argument, but it's in terms of getting those rights. It's going to be really crucial. The minister did acknowledge in the chamber yesterday that he is a data controller. We need to really be pushing him in terms of saying, what approach are you going to take to Article 15 rights? Are you going to try this blanket? Are you going to continue with this blank, illegal blanket interpretation of saying we can never give anybody their personal data because it will stop future commissions functioning. That argument is going to be so incredibly weak because this commission will be over. You'll have already given people who really felt sensitive about the whole thing and didn't want to be felt sensitive around their data and had asked for it. They've already been given an opportunity to remove their names, witnesses who didn't want to be named. So the argument for saying to somebody when they ask, like, I want to know where my where my 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 child is buried or I want to know what my birth name I was given before I was renamed or I want to know about my early life. Each of those individual requests, the minister would have to be able to prove that they would stop future commissions functioning if he gave them and he will just lose. Now, what we hope is that the minister, when he gets the data, we want him to press him to actually just recognise that and state that and and make that be a policy so that people don't have to individually fight him and win every time, um, every time they want to get the data. But on the other issue you mentioned, Vicky, about, about for example, people who are outside GDPR, like the, 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 the when the minister has that information as well, um, there's nothing to stop him under GDPR, not, not just the individual looking for rights. We're always assuming, and it's a really sad thing about Ireland, that we assume the only way anything good is going to happen is because an individual will try and get information or an individual will take it on. But if the minister was actually ambitious, as well as giving people their information when they ask for it, he also could make public interest regulations to say, I, for example, have decided, I believe it's in the public interest that there be information on burials. 
He can do that. Like there is nothing in the law. I don't believe maybe Simon might tell me if there isn't. I don't believe there's anything in the law that stops him from doing that. I mean, we have and, and, and we have a births, deaths and marriages can. position because we recognize there are some things that are pub- a matter of public record as of right. Um, he could decide that burial records are public interest and he could produce that. Like it's not just that individuals should be able to painfully extract their personal information is the minister could take of that pile of information and documents he can have, he could make decisions around large sections of it being in the public interest. But again, he could, but this government is not going to do that. (laughs) Anyway. Well, can we just say this has possibly given me a lot more hope, though, this conversation. That this is, sorry, I just want to, you know, it's, it it sounds to me very much like this is the the end of the beginning in a way. Yeah. And yeah. um and that is really positive. I think people because look, I mean, a lot of people are going to listen to this right now and just think, well, isn't it isn't it wonderful that we have a legislator in there battling the cause that we've seen how external agita- agitators um, and shadowy figures <laughs> have influenced the debate, and we've seen how the public have reacted in mass to this. Um, I you know like. Vicky, I know even in terms of what we were working in terms of our platform, we, we were putting a lot of time into to raising these stories. So it's, it, it is positive. Um, I just I do think the last thing we, we should we should be focusing yeah. on is, you know, OK, I, 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 I get the skepticism. But can we, can we try be happy for it for, for a oh, few no, minutes? No, no, no. I, I actually I wanted I know, one no, of the I, things I wanted to say I'll was. Be happy. <laughs> yeah, do be happy because. um. I mean, not foolishly happy. That would be uh, that'd be wrong. But but to be cor- to correctly say, it felt it was a very hard week for people who were engaged with this, and it was a very rough week for people directly in, uh, uh, engaged with this. And I spoke to some of these people during the course of the week, and they were good enough to tell me some of their stories. And you know, this is very difficult for them to hear this kind of conversation ongoing, a lack of respect, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time, the outcome has been not the worst. The worst would have been for the matter to have the, the information to be split up, for a 30-year seal to be unchallenged, for a block of the information to be taken out of the department and handed to Tusla to be scattered to the four winds like the dusts of, of ancient lands. Rather, we've got a single reference archive. It will be stored not by Tusla, but by the department. And that reference archive will be available. And we've got a minister who, by the end of the week, was conceding, if not the legal point, then he was recognising he couldn't win the argument in relation to a 30-year seal. That game is up. Like, this is the vote. And I know people were very hurt by the way that the votes went through. And I do know that people felt that. And, of course, the met the, the, the process was very painful as well in terms of not taking amendments, not being listened to as they as, as it felt like. But this vote is not the end of the matter. And the argument in the end has actually probably been of more value long term than the, than the actual outcome, the vote, the vote outcome. Having won the argument this week, there will be no 30-year seal. It will not be there. But I, I and I, I just, the problem is, I, I guess it's, this is why I know I sound, I'm not, just and Vicky, you're like I'm not that. I, it's not that I'm optimistic. It's that like I really think, I That'd think that terrible. the law, the law is clear. The problem is, and we really, I mean, like and as they say, the minister was he got as far as saying that it was morally indefensible to deny people their data. And I kept, I was just saying like, say morally and legally. If you just add in a, le- you know, 
And it's around pushing that. But but like, you know, there is we do have blocks. And even if the minister is moving, the AG is going to have to move on this and going to have to be made move on this if necessary. That's just going to have to happen. And because that is effectively that that old interpretation, which is wrong, is is kind of which, which even now the data protection commissioner is telling us is wrong. If the data protection commissioner's interpretation and again, her comments weren't on the bill, they were on what the department plans to do with the data. It was about the whole process. And that actually was what people were upset about and which is why they were so angry whenever the the response came back. But But, this particular bit of the process, the bill, doesn't do the thing you're upset about when it was part of the process that people were upset about. But but the the problem now is in terms of that, I really am, I I am gutted for people because, you know, we're going, and, and we do need to keep pressure on and there's no reason to be at all complacent because that old interpretation is very deep in the system and it's deep and it needs to be challenged. Yes, it, when the minister has the documents in February, it will get challenged legally if necessary. It needs to be challenged otherwise. But I, I, I just do, I, I wish that rather than the government feeling they had to reassure the commission or reassure uh, by, 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 but with this narrow interpretation or whatever, they've, they've chosen to reassure the status quo with that narrow interpretation. And I really wish that they could have instead given reassurance to all of the actual people who are going to be affected, who are affected. And, and I know that it's going to be really, really difficult few months because we haven't even seen the actual, con- once we see, we know that there's appalling things in that doc- report when we see it. There's going to need to be massive support. And there was uh, uh, for all of the individuals who really want satisfaction now and, and they're actually you know, we are still looking at, if we're lucky, a six-month battle, an eight-month battle, a year, you know. So I that's I, I still feel very bad for that. So the one, sorry to temper the happiness, Tony. Mm-hmm. I think it's more maybe to say rather than happy that there's hope. There is hope. Mm-hmm. But it, it and, and and almost confidence that things will change, but the but the it still makes me very unhappy <laughs> that people are going into the next few months in the way that they, they are. And just a final, like the most hopeful thing for me is that in the midst of lockdown and a really tough week for the country in that respect, people still found that empathy and concern for other people when we could have been super selfish and just the outpouring from the public, like keep it up, keep telling your TDs you're not happy with this, keep telling your senators, you know, this, it matters. Listen, folks, we're going to leave it there. Um, I hope, yeah, I really appreciate you guys uh, joining us for this uh, impromptu, uh, S- Simon instigated uh, impromptu podcast. We really appreciate it. And, and look, Vicky is right. You can keep the momentum going. Um, you can, that's the real critical thing here. It's the, the battle is actually not even, it's only just begun in many ways and support the people, support the, the survivors, the activists uh, and everybody around it because what we've shown is that uh, you can win the argument, but you just need to make that get that reflected in law. Talk to you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye.